Good morning, everyone. It's my honor and privilege to be back in the pulpit here. Uh, hopefully, you can tolerate me a little bit. Uh, if I make any mistakes or anything, you can kind of blame Ian Larkham. Uh, the reason I say that is, truthfully, I wasn't meant to be preaching, not for a while now, not till November sometime. And Ian approached me, he said, oh, no, I've got to go off to Washington or whatever. And I was thinking, oh, lucky you, you know, you've got enough hours to prepare on the way there and enough hours on the way back. Uh, so you have no excuse. But anyway, I, thought, oh, I could uh, deny the door or not uh, enter it as such. But I thought, no, if I did that, that wouldn't be fair. Uh, I can only but go through the door and hopefully be a blessing to you. Uh, and at the same time, how about Ian Larkham? So, is he back yet? Oh, he's on the plane. Oh, okay. So he's going there. Well, there you go. So he could prepare for next week then. <laughs> yeah, you tell him that. <laughs> anyway, um, if you have got your Bibles or you've got electronic version, paper version, whatever you've got, please turn over to Revelations 3. As you know, we've been working through doors. So we're in Revelations 3, verse 7 and 13. I just want to recap so we know the context that we're talking about. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no man can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I, have loved, that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command and endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The city of Philadelphia was what we would probably term in ancient civilizations a missionary town. Its whole goal when it was taken over by the Greeks was to kind of conquer the surrounding areas, to go out and teach Greek culture and language. So it was in fact, I suppose in some ways, an open door into the surrounding countries. It was a border country, what we would say, or border town, where three, three states, I suppose we could probably say the closest thing we've got is East Grinstead, which is kind of the border of three different, of different counties. So they had all these counties, all these countries coming together, and its role was to go out and teach culture, the Greek culture. So I suppose when Christ writes these words and he pens them, it's no surprise that the Philadelphians understand this concept. Missionaries and uh, teaching other people's religion and culture has been around since pretty much man. It's who we are. So Christ writes these words. The hymn in this we can obviously figure out is Christ. But wasn't that that got me? 
I was kind of intrigued. I understand what holy is. We all hear it. We sing songs about it, holy, holy, and all those kind of songs. But the word that stood out for me was one singular word, true. Him who is holy and true. What is true? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word is aletheonos. And it means opposite to what is fictitious, counterfeit, imaginary, simulated, or pretended. So I suppose in, 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 in short we could say it is the genuine article. So to be true means to be genuine, not counterfeit. John uses this word 23 times in his writing. 23 times. It only occurs 28 times in the New Testament. So John must be onto something here. He obviously wants us to hone in on what he's saying. He wants us to be true and genuine. Not counterfeit. So how does that relate to open doors? Where do we go with this? I mean, even the Pharisees acknowledged that Christ was... uh, the genuine article. Matthew 22 says, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way truthfully, and you do not care about anybody's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Are you swayed by opinions? Are you being truthful? So I suppose the best way to understand what is true is sometimes to look at the counterfeit. Um, I don't know if you've ever dealt with money. If you have, the best way to tell the difference between a counterfeit and a genuine article is to kind of put them next to one another. And sometimes that's the only way you can actually see the differences. That's how good the counterfeit can be. So they teach a lot of bankers and that to show the two together, and they sometimes often have a counterfeit under the counter so they can compare them. So if we put on the truth, the belt of truth, truth, yes, uh, Ephesians uh, tells us that the word of God is the belt of truth, put that on, and uh, let's try and look at some untruths first. I suppose that would probably be the best way of discovering the truth. How about this one? Only God opens doors. If somebody came to you and said that, would you believe them? You can answer. Kind of be an interactive if you want. How would you answer that? Only God opens doors. Truth, untruth, or lie. Lie, yeah. Illustration, I suppose, would probably help you out with this one. Ian spoke about a festival coming up at the end of the year or end of the month. What is that? Halloween. What do we teach our kids? Well, I hope you don't, but society, should I say, in general. What do they teach? Go out and collect sweets? 
But subtly what we're doing is we're teaching them that there's a spiritual realm, that it's all right to go out and play witches and things like that, and be ghosts and all that. But if you can read the Bible, and we had to stick to the Old Testament, we should be burning witches. That's how serious God was about them. Now, I might offend somebody this time, and I might break some childhood dreams. How about Christmas? Have you ever taught your kids about Santa? No? No. You know why you shouldn't? It's because what you're doing is you're shrouding the truth with myth. You're saying Santa, Christ. North Pole, little elves. So when the child grows up, they go, ooh, presence comes from Santa. Then you start teaching him about Christ. And you try and tell him, oh, Christ came to save you. Okay, the kid goes, okay, I can go with that. The child then learns that Santa doesn't exist and that it's been a lie So what does he think about Christ? A lie. And that becomes a stumbling block for the child. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to go through me and say that every open door is either from society or culture or your parents, and therefore you must blame them for everything that is wrong in your life. No. Okay. I think what you need to do is take these words from Thessalonians, but test them all, Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. It's your job and your responsibility as you go through life to test. Even if I stand in this pulpit now, if you're not testing what I'm saying, then you've got a problem. I could stand up here and tell you anything, but if you're not testing against God's word, how will you know what I'm telling you is true? I could be a counterfeit. Paul battled with that. How about this one? For every right decision you make, or for every decision, there's a right door. See, every choice you've got to make, there's a right door. Is that true? No. Because that would mean a state of perfection. And do we live in a perfect world? No, we don't. James 3 says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Is that you? Have you met anybody like that? I know there's people that think they're perfect. But they're not. How about this lie? If we choose the right door, then life will be easy. We'll be rich. We'll be famous. We'll be healthy. Is that true? It's not true. How's it going for you guys? Is anybody that's perfect 
Has got everything down yet? No? Didn't think so. I did a Bible study, or not a Bible study, actually I preached at Copthorne last week, and I, part of my sermon was to, uh, I did the elderly men, which is quite funny because the church is composed of elderly people. Um, and I was, I am, not lying, I am the youngest there when I preach. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so trying to preach a sermon that talks about the elderly to the elderly is kind of hard. So I thought I'd start by studying all the old characters in the Bible, which was going well as far as I was in the, in the Old Testament. Then I hit the New Testament. And to illustrate that life doesn't always go the way we want it if we follow Christ or if we choose the right doors. Do you know that the, out of all the apostles, only one died of natural causes? And do you know who he was? John. He lived to the right old age of 90-something in exile. And these words that we read today are his last words that he penned on the island of Patmos. So if you want to stand and tell me that choosing the right door leads to a good and healthy life, I think I'm going to have to call you a liar. I wasn't going to throw this in, but I was going to... I thought, well, okay. Something said I should, maybe. If life was going so well and I was up here standing, preparing, studying, and preaching, my life should be going pretty well, don't you think? Hmm. Well, this week I received news that if we don't improve at work, I'll be out of a job by the end of the year. How's that working for me? I've got to put pretty much what we say, the rubber to the road or where the rubber meets the road. I have to test my faith. <coughs> Matthew says this, and this is Christ speaking. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray each other. Matthew 24, 9 through 10. Christ spoke those words. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. We are at war. How about this little lie? God is not interested in my life and therefore does not open doors. Many times we hear people speak about, oh, God's up there doing something. Why does he care about me? Little old me down here. Things aren't going well. God doesn't care about me. Health, work, finance, all going wrong. Well, God doesn't care about me. Is that true? No, it's not true. What I've done is every lie I've tried to back up with some scripture so that you can see that I'm not lying to you. Luke 12, 7 says, Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. 
don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. We forget the truth sometimes and choose the wrong doors. Would Christ have been sent to die for us if God didn't care? So we've looked at a couple of untruths there. Hopefully you've unraveled some uh, mysteries in your life. Uh, I kind of feel like the Mythbusters, Adam and uh, those guys, if you watch them, dispel the truths and or find the truths and dispel the myths. So what is true in relation to doors and choices? Well, I can tell you this. God will not force you to go through a door. He might present you with a door, but he will not force you to go through it. I can back that up. Let's do a quiz quickly. Who was 40 years old, slayed somebody, ran into the wilderness, then wandered around and looked after sheep for another 40 years, then found a burning bush? Moses. Did God force him to go? No, he didn't. But every time Moses came up with an excuse, what did God do? Sorry? Yeah, he gave him an answer. It's quite correct. He removed your excuse. God might do that. How about Jonah? Jonah had a choice to go to, Nineveh. Did he go? No, he chose a different door, didn't he, or a different path. So what did God do? He sent a storm and a big fish. Jonah spent three nights in the belly of of the fish, didn't he? Not very nice. But sometimes God has to put things in your way to get you back onto the right track. Sometimes obstacles are there. Sometimes God removes your excuses so that you can go through the door. Like I said earlier, I could have made excuses as to why I should be up here on the pulpit. I was well within my right. But I didn't. So when you go out into the world, do you make excuses for God? Well, I don't know what to say. That's a good one, isn't it? Lord, what if I say the wrong thing? You know what? God can work with your mistakes. God does not punish you if you choose the wrong door. Because if God had to punish you for choosing the wrong door, that would mean that you'd have to live in a state of perfection. And as we've already uh, dispelled the truth that there is no perfect thing, Now, don't get me wrong, let's not confuse your choice in that between you choosing to sin. That's slightly different. If you choose to sin, well, then choose to suffer. That's just how that works, because God does right the wrongs. But if you present it with two doors, like 
which house do I buy or which job do I go to? God can work with whichever one you choose. And if there was a perfect door, there would have to be a perfect plan. But we don't have a perfect plan, do we? So you can see how that truth kind of falls into place. Now this one I think kind of is um, key and very important. One of my first untruths was that God doesn't open all doors, does he? Do you know that there is a door that you have to open? Does that come as a surprise? Revelations 3.20, just a couple of verses on. If you've got your Bible, please turn over to it. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You have to open the door. True, if you open the door, Christ will enter. That's if you truly open the door. And once that door is open, it is true, it can never be shut. If you do not open the door... It is true that you are destined to spend eternity without God. Scary. And if you're not, you should be. True. God is the most rejected person. Ever thought of that? How many doors does he stand and knock at? Yet no one opens. So when you tell me that you feel rejected, think of that. He's felt it, and he's carried it all, and he still carries it today. True. There are people out there who have not opened the door. And they are destined to spend eternity without him. True. It is your responsibility to go through the door of witnessing to them. You can choose not to. God can't force you. But if you choose to go through that door, you can be a blessing. If you love them and you care for them, will you keep quiet? 
will you? I hear silence. If you love them, will you keep quiet? I hope not. I hope that you shouted from the mountaintops. I hope that you declare that it is true that they need to open this door. This is a door they need to open and you need to tell them. Life is strange, difficult. We're presented with doors all the time. Yet we ignore, ignore the most important ones. We all make mistakes. We all go through hardships. But please, please, I almost beg you with tears in my eyes, tell somebody that they need to open the door. It is serious. If it wasn't, that verse wouldn't have been put in yet, would it? We all have family, we all have friends who have not opened the door. And that should give you a burdened heart. I don't want to throw guilt onto you, please, don't get me wrong. That's between you and God. But please, tell them if you love them.